Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past to the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. This is Kat, your host. And we are at, I want to say episode 13, but I might be wrong. Is it 13 or 14? It's episode, do you all hear Haley whisper? Episode 13. I wanted to, right before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to play some promos for you. Obviously, as a podcaster, I love podcasts myself, particularly the indie ones that just kind of pop up out of nowhere that I that I find randomly. And um, the first promo I'm going to play you is for Just the Tip Stirs. And it's my friend now. She's my friend now. Melissa Morgan and her husband, Mark. And she's hilarious and she's so funny. She sent me the promo and she had to beep out her um, F-bombs. And not that I don't cuss, I do. And if we ever start our Patreon page, people will get our... um, I don't know what to call it, but sort of our blooper reel where I probably cuss up a storm. But she was so sweet. She beeped hers out because I don't want to change my rating on iTunes to explicit. So I'm going to go ahead and play the the promo for you. Again, it's called Just the Tipsters and Melissa Morgan. It's Melissa Morgan and her husband, Mark, and their chemistry is amazing. And I kind of feel you can tell uh, Mark just adores her. And I think everyone should have a Mark in their life. Here we go. tipsters this is melissa morgan i'm the host of just the tipsters true crime podcast because people are awful and they kill each other tipsters this is melissa morgan the host of just the tipsters true crime podcast have you ever wanted to kill anyone hey tipsters my name is melissa morgan and i'm the host of just the tipsters true crime podcast america's favorite true crime podcast you can find us on apple Podcast. i don't know where the you can find us how about that just and find us and listen and we're and you'll really like it is that okay just the tip stirs with melissa morgan is actually available on itunes spotify iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast subscribe great review you'll be glad you okay, did so that was just the tipsters and i um again love them love her love mark the second one i'm going to play you i just kind of randomly came across this one it's called caskets and cocktails and it's Katie Leverett and her daddy, which I just love his accent, her daddy, Mr. Danny. Uh, he's been in the cemetery business for many, many years. And their format is sort of brilliant. They have people call in and ask questions about things that happen during funerals and stuff. And Mr. Danny will tell the whole story. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for you right now. I'm Katie Leverett. I'm Danny Faulkner. I'm her daddy. And welcome to Caskets and Cocktails. I've been in the cemetery business for over 35 years. That's right. And this podcast is all about Mr. Danny's hilarious and crazy stories that happened to him. Everything that happens happens in a cemetery. So guys, go ahead and hit subscribe because... We'll be the last ones to let you down. ...of the Facebook page Bizarre Los Angeles and the website Bizarre LA and author of the book. It's an amazing book, Haunted by History. And I'll have a link to all those different things on our episode web, our episode page. Hi, Craig. Hi. Glad to be back. I know. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for thank you so much for coming back with us. You've been helping me so much, and I haven't really said why um, I needed. I mean, Tressa and Haley. Haley's always here and helps me. And Tressa will be back for our next episodes. But I we're working on a the three of us are working on a three part series on Elizabeth Short, and many of you probably know Elizabeth Short more by her moniker of the Black Dahlia. And we wanted to tell the story of not just her after she became the Black Dahlia, but her story of her life before. And we wanted to bring 
Elizabeth sort of to life for everybody. So Craig has been helping me because when Craig is on the show, I don't have to spend many, 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 I don't have to spend many, 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 many hours doing all the research because Craig is a fountain of knowledge about everything that I love. So the fact that he's helped me out so I could focus on our three-part series that's coming up starting next week. We kind of went back and forth about what we were going to talk about today, Craig. Yeah, we did. And you know what <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you? I, I stole one of your followers, I think. I oh, got, yeah? I did. I got an email from Anna, and I'm going to claim her as my own now because I love her. Um, she wants us to do a story, and this is someone you and I talked about, about Mabel Norman. Ah, okay. Which we should do. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love Mabel Norman. I know, I do too, and she's one of my favorite silent movie stars, and her life was amazing. So, we, Anna, we will get to that. But she wants us also to do a story, and I'm willing to do it, and I know that you probably don't want to, but it's the Knickerbocker Hotel. Oh, uh, yeah, I could talk about the Knickerbocker Hotel. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about it today. We are? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. We decided, um, and and I know this seems so random and, and weird because everybody knows who Marilyn Monroe is. I mean, you can't really ask anybody under the, or over the age of 18, or 16 or 15, who Marilyn Monroe is. She's just as bright a star now as she was when she was alive. People know who she is, like Elvis Presley. But what a lot of people don't know today, unless you're a true fan of Marilyn Monroe, you don't, people now don't necessarily know um, about her early life or about the controversy surrounding her death. And the reason that, that this is amazing to talk to Craig, because Craig knows all the stories of all the different hauntings of Marilyn Monroe. So I'm going to take the first part and I'm going to tell you stuff about her life and her early life and the controversy surrounding her death. And I'm not going to dwell deep into it. I'm just going to kind of give it a little, little synopsis of it. Um, but then Craig's going to tell us about all the hauntings. I mean, you actually probably know more about Marilyn Monroe than I, than I even do, Craig. I don't know. I mean, I'm still learning about it. I mean, there's there are some historians in town that know everything about, you know, Marilyn Monroe. I mean, everything. Um, and so I often will rely on them sometimes. But I've been I've been slowly piecing together her life on on bizarrela.com, and so it's kind of nice. I mean, you. I think as a kid, I wasn't really into Marilyn Monroe that much because I thought it was just kind of oversaturated and overkilled, you know, pardon the pun. But no, it's uh, true, though. Life and death. And and it's kind of like, oh, do I really want to to get into that? Then I started seeing some of her movies because I'd always been kind of reluctant to see anything she was in. And, you know, I, I started to appreciate her. And then I guess as I've gotten older, um, and maybe it is because people are forgetting slowly uh, yeah. the, the details of her life. She's suddenly beginning more, becoming more interesting to me now. So I know I wasn't um, always the Marilyn Monroe fan. I mean, I know people like I, my first apartment. I remember one of my neighbors. He was young, you know, his first apartment too, and he had decorated like everything was Marilyn Monroe, and I was like, dude, that's a little overdone, but. I when I first started reading books about Hollywood, Marilyn, I mean, there's been what twenty five plus books written about her. It was easy to read about Hollywood if you read about Marilyn Monroe because she was basically everywhere. And I, oh, yeah. she is the single most identifiable movie star of the twentieth century, without a doubt. And honestly, she was insanely beautiful. She really was, and. I there one of my very favorite movies was her was hot no but I do love that I love some like it hot but um the one with Lauren Bacall and um Betty Grable gentlemen prefer oh love that movie Uh, How to Marry a Millionaire How to Marry a Movie yes love 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 it's one of my favorite movies whenever I'm sick and it's raining outside if I can find that movie I'm in heaven and I love how she wore glasses and she just I don't know she owned it. But um, let's kind of just jump in. Marilyn Monroe was born Norma Jean Mortensen on June 1st, 1926. She was an American actress, model, and singer. Uh, she was very famous for becoming a blonde bombshell. And her early life was very, very rough. And this is a part that I don't think that people, current people probably know, is that she never knew who her father was. 
She was named Mortensen because that was her mother's married name. But her mom had been married to, um, I've read two different stories. His name is either Martin Mortensen or his name is Martin Edward Mortensen or Edward Mortensen. So I haven't been able to figure out which was his first name. But she had already separated from him when Marilyn Monroe was born by two years or something. So I'm. she gave Marilyn the last name of, well, her name was Norma Jean. She gave Norma Jean the last name Mortensen because that was her name when when Marilyn was born. But she never said well, that that was her dad. Well, there's a couple of stories. She also went by Norma Jean Baker. Well, she went well. to her mom. That was her mom's maiden name. So when she couldn't find out who her dad was, she changed her name to Baker after her mom's maiden name. And um, her mom only had her for, and it's so weird. I found pictures today that I've never seen of Marilyn Monroe. And I, there's one I've seen of her and her mom on the beach, and she's a, t- a baby, like under the age of two, I believe, playing on the beach. And I've seen that picture, but this website had numerous pictures of a whole gaggle of people um, on the beach with the mom. It was two men and a couple other women, and I've never seen that picture before. But that was around the age that um, Gladys, her mom was named Gladys, ha- was institutionalized for the first time. And had to give Marilyn up. And she gave Marilyn, well, I keep calling her Marilyn, but at the time she was Norma Jean. She gave her to a friend of hers named Grace Goddard, who, with her husband, who was referred to as Doc, had her for a couple years. And then she kind of bounced back and forth. Gladys would get better and she would go back with her mom. And then she would get worse again and she would go um, with another family friend or she would become a ward of the state where she would be bounced around from foster home to foster home to foster home. There's a couple different stories about her life with the Goddard family. It was in LA, Van Nuys in in particular. And um, one of the stories is that she was sexually assaulted by uh, Mr. Goddard and the Mrs. Goddard didn't want her around anymore. So she kind of removed her from the house and sent her to live with someone else she lived somewhere else for a few years and then she ended up having to come back after being with her mom and then foster care and then her mom. She really was bounced all over the place. She ended up going back to the Goddard's house and Mr. Goddard got a job in Virginia and was not, they were not willing to take Marilyn with them. So they kind of orchestrated for Marilyn to get married to um, a, a gentleman named Jim Daughtery. She was only, uh, Norma Jean was only, 15 when they first suggested it when she got married she had grad it was just a few days after graduating high school she had the option of either going back to foster care or getting married basically at the age of 16 so she chose to marry the neighborhood boy which was Jim Daughtery and she stayed married to him for four years and I just realized today I didn't I was reading a lot about him and he wrote two books, too. Did you know that? No, I didn't. He wrote two books. In one of them, it was something, My Happiness of My Life with Marilyn Monroe. And then I can't remember the name of that other one. But he claims repeatedly that they were absolutely in love. When they first got married, he was part of the Merchant Marines, but he was stationed in Catalina. So the first year of their married life, they lived on Catalina Island, where he was stationed. And then he was sent abroad and she had to move back to Van Nuys and moved in with his mom and went to work for the radio playing company. And that's where she was discovered the modeling and her life started. And the, the weird thing about him is that he, he claims that they were in love, madly in love for four years. Um, but she divorced him when he got transferred overseas and he claims that he loved, she loved him and that they had this great, this great marriage she claims, on the other hand, that, that she only married him because she didn't really have any other choice. And um, funny story is that his when he, when they divorced, he tried to get her back when he came back um, to the United States. And she said, no, absolutely. This is She had already been st- signed to a studio and everything, and she was moving on with her life. He ended up marrying um, a lady named Rita pretty much right after that. And he never saw any Marilyn Monroe movies because his wife wouldn't allow him to. His wife oh, that's funny. did not like that he had been married to Marilyn Monroe. And then he snuck out. And he was a detective for L.A., by the way. Did you know that? No, I didn't. He was a Los Angeles detective. And he 
was um, asked to be on the show. Oh, it was a TV show where you had to guess who somebody was. And he was a three, one of three gentlemen. And the player had to guess uh, who was Marilyn Monroe's first husband. And so he told his wife that he was going to recruit police officers at some kind of thing. And he was really on the television show. And he said when she found out, she threw a pan out his head. So she was not thrilled about the fact that her husband had been married to Marilyn Monroe. He ended up marrying after he got divorced in the 1970s and uh, married someone else. His third wife did not care at all. Like she, she, that's when he wrote the books and stuff was because his third wife was completely fine. The fact that he had been married to Marilyn Monroe, but Marilyn Monroe um, denied a lot of his stories in one of his books. He had said that when they broke up, she threatened to jump off the Santa Monica pier and kill herself because they broke up. So she was angry. She said, no, none of that's true. I only married him for convenience. I didn't have any other choice. So I don't think that we'll ever know the true story of what happened between the two of them. I do know that when she went to yeah. she went when she went to work for a radio playing company is when she was discovered for modeling. And I don't necessarily have what year that was, but they were divorced in 1946. They were married for four years, and she went on to start modeling and was discovered. And that's you know when she started doing. She did really well. She was in her first movie, which I want to say her originally she started as being the dumb blonde, and then she. She came into her own and was starring in films over relatively quickly from 1948 to 1951. She was doing sort of background roles and things like that. And then um, the funniest thing is that the scandal in 1952, pictures came out of her posing nude for a calendar. And she had already been in some films and they thought it was going to destroy her career. And it did the opposite. She kind of owned the fact that she posed nude and said, I was a young girl and I was hungry. I needed to pay my rent. And he was willing to pay me to take off my clothes and take a picture. So people in the completely different than what you would have thought of the 1950s, people sort of embraced her honesty that she was like, look, I, I had to eat and this is what I had to do to eat. So, I mean, it's kind of one of the things I love about her, too, is that she kind of just owned everything about herself in every way. She... Well, one of the quotes, she, one of the early quotes she said in 1950 had something to do with uh, that she had tried to work, you know, at one point uh, in the office, doing office work, but she wasn't very good or very fast or very competent, so the, the company put her in like the warehouse where she was like inspecting helicopter parts or something. And then uh, there were some photographers that came in to do something. So this might've been around the war time or shortly thereafter the war, you know, world war two. And when they saw her, they were like, where have you been all this time? You know? And so they immediately started hitting her up to uh, model. And that's really where she got her start was, was modeling. And, She's had some conflicting reports too. Part of it has to do with publicists right. trying to control message and controlling her, and they certainly, you know, were trying to uh, whitewash the fact that she came from a unhappy home and that her mother had mental problems. Right, and she was always afraid um, of her mom's mental problems. Like she lived her life fearful that she would get whatever her mom had. Oh yes, oh yes. And her mother ended up in Rock Haven Sanitarium. Just, you know, I wasn't there too long ago giving a ghost walk. And uh, people were very interested about, you know, seeing the room that 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 her mother stayed in and some of the stories. But, yeah, she she was a bit nutty. And uh, um, and that caused a lot of grief for Marilyn. And I think that's one of the main reasons why she decided to get married uh, young was, she needed that kind of stability to kind of get away from her mom and, and being shuttled the everywhere. A buffer, a buffer yeah. of sorts for yeah. her. And then, you know, once the modeling took off, uh, she just kind of went where the wind blew her. And she, uh, according to the story I heard, is that she had posed uh, for some pictures 
in magazines. I don't, I don't think these were the nudie ones, but I'm, I'm not sure. But Howard Hughes saw them. Howard Hughes was in the hospital uh, doing uh, had recuperating from surgery, and apparently one of his assistants brought a bunch of magazines for him to read, and he saw pictures of Marilyn Monroe, wanted to sign her. He signed her. She was supposed to be in a film called Scooter Hayes, Scooter Hayes, Scooter Hay, or Scooter High, and they cut her out um, of the film, and then she they cut her from the her first contract as well. I think it was RKO. And then she uh, she did get signed with another company, but by 1950, she was definitely being groomed for stardom. And it was at that time that she started giving a few uh, interviews, and or at least her publicist were on her behalf. And you know, she she's a hard one to understand because when she died. You know, there were a lot of people came out of the woodwork saying that they knew her, that they were her best friend, that they were her psychic, right. that they were her, you know, hairdresser. And uh, and they all had different stories, plus the fact that Marilyn was coming unglued as a star. She was difficult to work with. Uh, how difficult is anyone's guess? But, you know, everyone had little comments that they would make. But she basically started as a um, kind of a pinup model that wanted to be taken seriously as an actress. She went through all the, uh, you know, the acting lessons. I think she studied under Lee Strasberg. Yeah. And, and that was kind of, that was kind of a, a point of contention for a lot of um, the actors on sets and stuff because she would bring that method acting. Was that method acting with Strasberg? And yeah, they would um, kind of like take over the set and make her even more difficult to work with. That there, there was some truth in that, but you know, she made friends with uh, Marlon Brando. She made friends with, uh, you know, she she kind of idolized the method actors that were out there. Well, she Literally, idolized you know, anyone who was good at their job. I think that she. I wish that she would not have gotten so disillusioned with being the blonde bombshell because, she, as a comedian, she was amazing, and it makes me yeah. sad that she that wasn't good enough for her. She did not want to be the blonde bombshell. She did not want to be the funny girl. She wanted to be taken seriously for her craft and for acting. And I think that was sort of her undoing in some parts was that she wasn't happy with where she was. And I think that she brought so much joy to so many people being that Marilyn Monroe that I wish she would have seen that. I wish she would have seen the value in that. Well, she she had a love-hate relationship with, her image. For sure. Uh, at, she would complain about how they weren't taking her seriously, yet she'd be the first to jump and disrobe and pose for, you know, sexy pinup pictures. Right. Even, you know, into the 60s, early 60s, she would, she would, she would do that. So she had a, a dual career, if you would. Uh, one was the serious comedian or, okay, that's, that sounds weird. But, you know, the serious actress and and actually a surprisingly deaf and uh, comedian coming forward and, you know, getting her chance to do films like Bus Stop and to do uh, films like Some Like It Hot. And then at the same time, she had this uh, other career, which was as a pinup model, and no one could really touch her. I mean, there were a lot of uh, imitations in the fifties. And, uh, but she, she did, someone once said that, you know, um, she was the ultimate pinup queen and, and still is to this day. Uh, the only one that ever came close to her was Betty Page. And I have to kind of agree with that. No, I do too. Um, so both of those things going at the same time. So it really, it probably confused her, probably confused a lot of her critics because a lot of people just can't, can't put two and two together and and come up with four with that. It's either got to be two or it's got to be two, but no one, you know, it was very difficult for anyone to juggle both careers. Well, and then she, she, she compounded all of the fact, all of that, like managing her career and her image with the fact that she abused drugs too. She was being treated for depression yeah. and anxiety and she, 
um, you know, it's, it's hard enough to be in the industry where you're loved and hated. You know, she had her people who didn't like her and would say horrible things about her, just like any celebrity now. And now it's even more visible with social media is that she, she wasn't mentally stable to handle it to begin with. And then you add in that alcohol and drugs. Um, she just, she was sort of destined. It's a terrible thing to say, but she was sort of destined. Her fate was determined. I think long before she actually died, she married. So if you're a fatal, certainly. Yeah. For sure. Um, to continue with her life, though, she married. She her second marriage was to Joe DiMaggio, who loved her until the end of time. They were married. Sorry, they were married during the time that she made um, Seven Year Itch, and it was a volatile relationship. He wanted a wife, barefoot and pregnant, and she wanted her career, but she wanted to be. And it's so funny. I, I, I truly believe this. I think she wanted to be what he wanted her to be. And she just couldn't. She'd worked too long and too hard to become Marilyn Monroe. She couldn't just give in and become someone's wife. And that's what Joe right. DiMaggio wanted of her. So their marriage didn't last long and um, ended in a highly publicized divorce. And then she married playwright Arthur Miller. Because another thing about her is that she idolized intelligence. She felt she always felt lesser on the intelligence scale, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think, you know, with, DiMaggio and Miller were two very different people. But I, what I saw the common thread in the men that she went after was that she went for the very best in their respective fields. That's what turned her on. And DiMaggio was like the king of baseball. Right. So she fell for him. Because of that, Arthur Miller was like one of the hottest writers ever. And so, you know, his intelligence, she was definitely attracted to that. And then, you know, moving even forward to the Kennedys, I mean, you can't, I mean, she stopped at the president. Right. U.S. president himself. I mean, so she she was very turned on by and very attracted to the best of the men that were in the very top of their own chosen field for sure and i think that i i don't know i think that they should have probably recognized the mental instability and the alcohol and drug use also but i think the lure of being you know attractive to marilyn monroe sort of undid would undo any man yes i don't even if they knew that she probably wasn't right for them she knew how to seduce the camera so she just knew how to seduce. For sure. And, and that's what she did. Sadly, on August um, 5th, 1962, she died of an overdose of barbiturates in her home in Los Angeles. Although her death was ruled a probable suicide, several conspiracy theories have been imposed in the decades following her death. So I'm going to kind of go um, through the timeline of the day that she died. Sure. Um, she died again August 5th, 1962, and her address was 12305 5th Helena Drive, Los Angeles. Now, that's still there, right? Yes, that, uh, that is her address. It's still there. It's in Brentwood, actually. Yeah, it's still there. Okay, so on Saturday, August 4th, the day before, she had met with a photographer, Lawrence Schiller, regarding um, being in Playboy, actually. She stayed home all day. Um, in the house with her that day was Eunice Murray, her housekeeper, and her publicist, Patricia Newcomb. At 4.30 that day, her doctor, Dr. Ralph Greenson, arrived for therapy. He did therapy with her. He asked Newcomb to leave, and then he stayed until about 7 o'clock at night. He asked whatever. He's never said what they talked about that day during the therapy, doctor, client, whatever. Um, but he did ask for Eunice to spend the night that night. So their conversation couldn't he, – he was at least concerned about her that day. At 7 p.m., he received a call from – or she received a call from Joe DiMaggio Jr., who she stayed very close to her ex-stepson. And he called her to tell her that he had broken up with a girl that Marilyn didn't like. She didn't like his girlfriend at the time. So he says that their conversation was normal and light, and she was happy that he wasn't with that girl anymore. Um, nothing indicating that she was depressed or sad or 
going to commit suicide. At 7.40, she called Dr. Greenson and told him about Joe DiMaggio Jr. calling her and that she was so happy that he had broken up with that girl. At 8 o'clock, Peter Lawford called to ask her to come to a party. Um, she said no, that she couldn't go, but her voice was – her speech was slurred, and she sounded like she was under the influence of drugs. So this is just 20 minutes after she talked to her doctor. She told him during that conversation, say goodbye to Pat, say goodbye to the president, and say goodbye to yourself because you're a really nice guy. So all of these things alarmed Peter Lawford. So he hung up and immediately called Dr. Greenson, and he couldn't get a hold of him. So he waited a little bit, tried to call Dr. Greenson again, and ended up calling her lawyer, Mickey Rudin, who called the house and told Eunice that – Eunice answered the phone – that Peter Lawford had called and that she sounded like she was drinking or um, under the influence. And Eunice convinced Mickey Rudin that everything was fine. I don't know that Eunice went and checked on her. Or not, but she said, everything's fine. You don't have to worry about her. At 3.30 in the morning, Eunice woke up and said she woke up startled. She felt something, like something was wrong. So she got up and saw that the light was on under Marilyn's door. So she called Dr. Greenspan when Marilyn went to answer the door, and the door was locked. I guess her bedroom door being locked was very unusual. So she called Dr. Greenspan, who told her to go outside and look in the window which she did. She ran back to the house, called Dr. Greenson back, and said that she could see Marilyn laying face down, clutching the phone. Dr. Greenson came over and broke the window and determined that she had died. That's when they found out was that when he broke in the window. The inquest, the findings for the inquest was probable suicide. Based on the advanced state of rigor mortis, she had died between 8.30 and 10.30 on August 4th. Now, this is what makes me sad because um, she was alive at 8 o'clock when Peter Lawford talked to her. And when Mickey Rudin finally got through to her, they said it was around 9 or 9.30. If Eunice would have checked on her, she probably could have saved her because that's about yeah. the time that she had died. Um, they said the possibility of accidental was ruled out. Now, this is – people say that she committed suicide. She it was an accidental overdose. Um, she was murdered. I mean, there's so many controversies about it. But um, they said that the possibility of an accidental, accidental, suicide, an accidental suicide – was ruled out because the dosages found were several times over the lethal limit and had been taken in one gulp or a few gulps over a minute or so. So she took a lot of pills really fast. So they said that ruled out the fact that it was accidental. And then there's a whole bunch of controversies of, or conspiracy theories. People say that she was killed by Robert Kennedy because she got too close or too attached to the president. Um, or him. Right. Or him, who knows, because apparently she was seeing Kennedy, which I yeah, I believe. I mean, there's way too many pictures yeah, of them Aunt together. Bobby, yeah, that was the rumor. Yeah. yeah, and I I mean, Kennedy was, we all know he was not a faithful man. And come on, she was Marilyn Monroe. And we know that she wanted the best of the best. He's the president. So the fact that they hooked up, I'm I'm not surprised in the least. I don't think that she was a threat to them. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. But um, they said that she knew well, too much. Sorry, they said that she knew too much, and that um, she had written in her diary too much about um, JFK and Robert Kennedy. Um, people say that it was her death scene was staged, that she was actually found alive, um, transported in an ambulance, and I think someone posted that, like years later, someone said an ambulance was there hours before. The news broke that she had died. So um, there was some kind of weird thing about her being alive, put in the ambulance, and then moved back to the house because it didn't implicate other people and that it would show as an external suicide, which I feels like it did anyways because of the pills, so I don't know. Um, others say she was killed by the CIA to hurt the Kennedys. Others say that she was killed by the mob to send a message to Bobby Kennedy Others say that it was staged by her doctors because they were double medicating her. Both of her doctors were giving her medicine at the same time. The The problem with a lot of this, too, is that the one person who could give the truth and tell the story was Eunice Murray, her housekeeper. And she changed her story several times. 
And I've read in the police report myself, because I always try and get those when I can, she was considered, the police wrote a note about Eunice Murray in, in the file saying that she was considered evasive, that she wasn't answering questions properly, and she certainly wasn't answering questions the same every time, which, I don't know. There's something, I don't know, what do you, I, what do you, what do you think happened? Well, I don't know what happened, but I will tell you that if Eunice was doing everything up and up, there would be no reason to be evasive. So the the big red flag is that something improper went on. Something, and yeah. It, it was either negligence, accidental negligence, deliberate negligence, or, you know, it it could be foul play. It's, it's some of the stuff like the mob, uh, I just... I think we give the mob way too much credit. I do too. For every conspiracy that too. goes on. But, um, you know, the, the CIA and, and the affair with Jack Kennedy, um, you know, there are holes that you can shoot in those conspiracies, and yet there's still some things that are quite compelling. Well, the fact that Eunice um, couldn't answer a question straight, that's kind of, that's the one thing that I've always made me wonder. And, I mean, I, I think she was too smart to accidentally die. I don't think she was – I died. sorry. I'm not, I'm not buying that she accidentally committed suicide. I don't. Right. I think she was I way too Eunice smart. I think Eunice might have just screwed up. Something just Eunice did. Yeah, I do. I, I Something to do with her. Because the fact that she did not go in when she had the chance to check on her and then suddenly at 3.30 gets a strange feeling in her sleep and has to rush outside and look through the window. And then, you know, it's just too many things about it. And the fact that the police said she was evasive. They have no reason to say that, other than the fact that she was evasive. So, right. there is a mystery surrounding her death. I don't necessarily believe that she accidentally killed herself. I think that if she killed her, if it was done by her own hands, it was t- definitely intentional. I don't, I don't know, I don't believe that, because I feel like she would have written letter after letter and called everybody she knew and I don't know. I mean, maybe she was more tortured than we think. Now, but what there did is she mystery. say to Peter Lockhart? Her last words to him was, say goodbye to everybody? Yeah, she said, say goodbye to the president, say goodbye to Pat, which was his wife, and say goodbye to yourself because you're a really nice guy. Well, that could just be the effect of the drugs right it there. Just yeah. Because Lockhart was real close to the Kennedys. Right. And so... Well, that's how she met. That, the Kennedys was through Peter yeah, Lawford. Yeah, I mean, that's what caused the breakup with the, the friendship between Lawford and Sinatra. Right. Because, uh, you know, what uh, Peter Lawford was related to the Kennedys by marriage, correct? Yes. He was married to Pat Kennedy. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, oftentimes famous last words or famous conversation, uh, if they're a little bit cryptic, they can be completely misinterpreted. For sure. But, um, you know, there are a lot of other cases, Hollywood mysteries, where that is also the case, you know. But I, I don't know. I mean, she, it sounds like she was definitely on something. Right. Uh, she made the call. So, she did come from a family with mental illness. Well, they found out later that, that doctors had determined later that she was bipolar. That yeah. had she lived longer, she would have been diagnosed with bipolar. So, okay, we only have about 10 minutes left. So can you tell us some of the places she's supposed to haunt in Los Angeles? Well, let's let's first talk about when the, the ghost story started popping up. And Immediately? There is... Uh, well, I will, I want to say in the maybe the seventies, early seventies. Oh, it took that long. Time. Yeah, there was a guy named uh, I want I may botch his last name, but it was a guy named Bob Slasser. Uh, he was one of those people that came forward after Monroe died and said that he also romanced her. Yeah, they were, and, and then they were best friends and things like that. Guy. In fact, a lot of uh, people, Maryland, you know, fans refer to him as the toad um, because he, he didn't look anything like uh, a heartthrob that Marilyn would have gone for. But he produced these photos of him being all lovey-dovey 
and he actually claimed that he was briefly married to Marilyn Monroe and that he was the second husband and that DiMaggio came later. But uh, one of the stories he came up with is he said that he first met her in the summer of 1946. Uh, he was a correspondent for an Eastern newspaper, and he was writing stories on major celebrities in Hollywood. And so he got to meet her at that time. They struck up a friendship. He apparently, you know, claimed that he was there when, when you know, Zanuck signed her to uh, Fox and all the problems with that. Um, he also claimed that he had secretly married her. And when Daryl Zanuck of uh, Fox uh, heard of, about the marriage, he put pressure uh, for them to get a divorce. Uh, but he's the guy that started the ghost stories. <laughs> I did not know that. I read his book. He read a book, or was it a website? I don't know. But I've read about him. His claims are really difficult to believe, except for the photographs. Yeah. But I think she was probably just really nice to him. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, after she passed in 1962, he started claiming that many strange things started happening in his life. And I'm going to quote it. He said, I began to notice that particular odors would suddenly become apparent in my home, seemingly out of nowhere. And, uh, and then he said that these, these uh, odors were the, had the smell of roses filling the air in his room wherever he lived. And, you know, he said that he'd look around, there's no flowers, he'd open the patio door. Um, and uh, so he started to attribute that to Marilyn's ghost haunting him from beyond the grave. Um, he said the phenomena, phenomenon began to occur periodically, sometimes twice a week, sometimes once a month. Um, if other people happened to be in his home, they wouldn't smell anything. Uh, he said that this occurred between 16 or 70 times from 1963 until 1981. So he had a, he had a rose problem. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Um, okay, in 1973, Bob told some writers that he had participated in a ritual that had caused Marilyn Monroe's spirit form to materialize in front of others. And the person that he had hooked up with was a guy named Anton LaVey. Have you ever heard of him? Yes, I have. The high priest of the Church of Satan in San Francisco. Right. So he hooked up with them, and, and Anton and his wife um, and a studio publicity man, and they got to talking about Marilyn Monroe, and uh, LaVey was fascinated by her as well. So Slatter would say, literally, we socialized for dinners and such over a period of about two years. Then Anton contacted me and told me the following. About every 11 years, astrologically, a cycle would repeat itself, and the dark of moon would come back on Saturday, August the 4th, just as in 1962 when Marilyn had died. And so LaVey needed someone who knew Marilyn very well to help manifest her. So those two guys got together, okay, and uh, so they, they met at 10.30 p.m., and I believe, let's, according to the story, um, well, they had gotten permission from the owner of Marilyn's home at the time. So they all drove over there, okay? Uh, although she would be closing the gate, that's the owner, they were welcome to sit in the cul-de-sac. So, um, so Slasser and Anton LaVey and his wife shows up uh, at Marilyn Monroe's home in Brentwood. And what? Well, this was uh, 1973. And they claimed that they had conjured up Marilyn's ghost. Oh, and my that's God. what started the whole ghost story about her haunting uh, Helena Drive in Brentwood. Um, he claims that, you know, while they were sitting in the front seat of their, pass, uh, of their car, uh, Anton's wife was sitting in the back seat, and they were gazing at the night. It was like looking into a tunnel with a perfect line of vision 
and they saw what looked like at around 1145, uh, they started hearing a weird sounds and started doing their ritual. And they said about 1215 a.m., the night was still, there was nothing moving around. And then I think it, it, somehow or another, Marilyn's ghost appeared in like the headlights or something like that. Oh, goodness. And so they got a lot of press off of this story, but you know, none of these people were, uh, are credible people. So right. I think you have to kind of toss that one out for as sure. a urban legend that was created for publicity sake on those parts. Now I haven't heard anything new about Marilyn Monroe's ghost haunting that Brentwood home. If it is, the owners certainly keep it quiet about it. But that's the story that gets repeated and it's gotten changed over the years and they've removed everyone's name, but those were the guilty parties, okay? Then let's go to the Hollywood Roosevelt. I was going to say, there's the mirror, the mirror at the Hollywood Roosevelt, right? Right. Well, do you, you want to care what year that ghost story started? Was it as late as the 80s? Yeah, 1985. I was going to say, it was, it was a long time after she had died. It was a long time after she had died. What basically happened was the Roosevelt went through very hard times. It almost was torn down. Uh, it was slated to be, I think they were going to tear it down and make it a parking lot. At the very last second, someone came through and bought it, and they started this major restoration. And while they were doing this restoration, that's when the ghost stories of the Roosevelt first popped up. Okay, so now, do you believe it, them or no? That the Roosevelt's haunted? I've heard too many stories not to believe that there's something going on there. But, you know, the whole uh, legend behind it is that, you know, Monroe did stay at the Roosevelt, as did a lot of people. And she took her modeling classes supposedly there, definitely at the Ambassador Hotel as well. Um but they associate Cabana Room number 246 as being Marilyn Monroe's favorite place. And at her request, uh, while she was staying there, she asked for the hotel to provide a tall, dark, wood-framed, full-length mirror uh, that was brought up to her room. Now, when she died in 1962, that mirror uh, ended up uh, in the general manager's office, believe it or not. Then, during, in, uh, literally, in December 1985, a maid or housekeeper named Suzanne Leonard was dusting the mirror when she saw a blonde woman standing behind her in the reflected glass. So she turned around to speak to the blonde woman, and no one was there. Hmm. But then when she turned back uh, to look, the reflection was again in the mirror. So she said that it must be Marilyn. They brought in two psychics, well, I want to say the management did, who read, did a reading on the mirror, and they said that they concluded that, you know, there was sadness that were, was trapped in the mirror reflection. But they, even they wouldn't go so far as to say it was the ghost of Marilyn Monroe. I mean, Marilyn, However, she did hang out at the Roosevelt. Like, she used their pool and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know why so, she would choose to hunt there. I don't know either. I mean, um, she could have haunted many different places because she had emotional connections with many different places. But how emotionally connected she was with the Hollywood Roosevelt, uh, hard to say. But I'm saying that it's it decades before her ghost story started at the Roosevelt in 1985. Then fast forward to the Hollywood Knickerbocker. And that ghost story started in where uh, 1996, that's or thereabouts, that she haunts that place. And that was made up for marketing. There was a guy that ran a uh, little cafe, coffee shop late at night, uh, called the All-Star Cafe. And I, I got to meet the guy. I used to go in and talk to him. He, I, he was irritated with me because I kept asking him, like, grilling him like a detective, uh, asking the same question over and over again and getting different responses and, and, and different variations of it. But he had created this publicity sheet 
that he was sending out all over town to the e-network to everybody, and everyone bought into it. No one bothered to fact-check any of the information on this press release. And one of the press release items was that Marilyn Monroe's ghost had been seen in the women's bathroom oh, come on. of the All-Star Cafe, and that this ties into Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio spending their honeymoon at the Hollywood Knickerbocker. Well, you know, any Monroe biographer knows that that didn't happen, no. that they did not spend their honeymoon at the Roosevelt. They did spend At the Knickerbocker, there, you mean? Though. At the Knickerbocker, okay. yeah, sorry. Um, they did, they, they were there a few times, but, you know, they got married up in San Francisco. She got suspended by Fox because they didn't want her getting married. And uh, so that's why she fled L.A. to do so. They spent their literal honeymoon just outside of San Francisco, and then they disappeared for a while. Right. And I believe the general consensus is that they ended up in either Palm Springs or Palm Desert in some, you know, friend's hideaway. And then DiMaggio went back to New York, and Monroe went back into L.A. and faced the music and, and met with Zanuck and explained herself and, and got, you know, unsuspended uh, after negotiating, you know, uh, her return to the studio. The problem with the whole story of them hiding out and holding up in the Knickerbocker is that Zanuck was sending Fox people all over town. Looking for them. Trying to find out where Monroe was. Right. And so they definitely would have had spies uh, or scouts poking around the Knickerbocker asking about those where the whereabouts of both of them. Wait, I have and to go so, back. But, I have to go back to you saying that you annoyed the, the guy at the Knickerbocker. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I was a teenager. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When I was a teenager, yeah. I went, we used to go, we used to ditch school and go to Hollywood all the time. It was like my place to go when I was a teenager. And um, I got kicked out of the Knickerbocker because my friends didn't want to go in with me, but I wanted to go in. I wanted to see what it looked like. I'd read all the stories about all the people who had died there and I had to see the inside of it. So I went in by myself and I was asking, <laughs> I was maybe 15 or 16, I was asking the elderly people that were sitting around the lobby and the people that worked there if it was haunted and, like, what rooms were haunted. And I got kicked out. They weren't thrilled with me. Really? Yeah. Whatever. Well, I did Max that all the time when we went to Hollywood. Max eventually got kicked out, but, man, he had started some some whoppers, you know, about Valentino haunting Yes, and, yes, yes. And, and uh, which is William sad Paul because... Didn't D.W. Griffith die, didn't D.W. Griffith die in the lobby of the Knickerbocker? No, no. He Where did didn't. he die? That was made up. It was part of the press release. He actually had a stroke in his room at the Hollywood Knickerbocker. They they took him out alive to a hospital, put him in an oxygen tent, and he died there. But the whole thing about him coming down drunk and passing out in front of the chandelier and dying—that's all crap it is pardon my friend who because that shit beer that he supposedly died in was like added in the 70s or or 60s it was it was you know over 10 years after griffith had already died and griffith didn't die or collapse in the lobby he collapsed in his room and uh, then at the knicker and william frawley died out in front of the knickerbocker he did not he actually what? died crossing Hollywood and Ivar Street. Which is what <laughs> street a, is, isn't it? block away. Well, the Knickerbocker's on Ivar, away. but not on, so he was a block away. But he was going to the Knickerbocker, let's just say that. No, he wasn't. What? He was, uh, all that was made up. I mean, Frawley lived at one time at the Knickerbocker, but at the time of his death, he wasn't living there. He had just seen a movie with his caregiver, who was a big, studly kind of nurse guy. He had been on My Three Sons, but had cancer. And plus, he was a ra had been a raging alcoholic for right. most of his life. Right. So his health was bad. And as he was crossing Ibar to get to his car uh, to go home, he had a massive heart attack, died there in the street, 
they dragged him to the corner where that Scientology building is now. Oh, wow. And that's where the, I believe the ambulance came and picked him up. Uh, the ambulance, got to remember that the hospital where he was taken was only about a block away. Yeah. So it would have taken longer to have dragged him half a block. And that's why I said half a block, not a whole block. Half a block up to the Knickerbocker, uh, would have, it would have, that would have taken up more time than just waiting on the sidewalk for the ambulance to arrive. So, okay, so is there any place in Hollywood that you believe that Marilyn Monroe haunts? No, I really don't. Really? I don't think she, I don't, I don't think she, there, I haven't come across any credible stories uh, of her haunting any place, really. You know what, I'm okay with uh, that. I'm okay with that. I, I hope that she's at peace now. I hope that she isn't stuck in, you know, between the veil or whatever it is that happens when people haunt certain locations. I, I hope so. I mean, I, I've seen YouTube videos of psychics going into the Roosevelt and channeling Marilyn Monroe very poorly, I might <laughs> add. And, uh, and, you know, I won't name names, um, but I'm just saying that there's so much more to the, the story of Marilyn's life than what anybody thinks they know. Right. And, and, um, I could be wrong. I mean, this is the cynic talking, you know, I just, once I found out that Anton LaVey was, was involved, the one that started the story at Brentwood, that I thought might have been, might possibly have been the most credible story. And that of got the ruined. Bunch. Yeah. But yeah, no, you have to throw that out. Well, I'm okay with it. I'm honestly, I'm okay with that. If Marilyn Monroe is at peace now, it's where she she belongs, and I'm a, I'm okay with that. I I I don't know if people know that. Um, she is buried in I can't remember the name of the cemetery. I'm gonna look really Westwood quickly. in Westwood, and Westwood. it's between bank buildings. Like it's the strangest little cemetery ever. You have no idea that there's yeah. a cemetery back there because it's it's parking lots and in buildings. And then suddenly you walk through and you're in a cemetery. It's the strangest place. But that's where Natalie Wood is buried. Um, Richard Conti. Uh, I want to say John There's a Knott. lot of celebrities buried out there. It's and so tiny, too. Tiniest you cemetery. Visit, you know, Monroe's Crypt and you'll see lipstick traces on the slab. I will, yeah. I mean, that is the most. Uh, visited, I guess, misused and vandalized, most visited crypt in, in probably the United States. And they they constantly have to do upkeep on it just because of the sheer traffic that goes there. And, you know, I've met some people that, that think that she may haunt that place. Or, or, you know, I've heard stories about, you know, uh, mists being seen on the ground or, you know, people taking their... K2 meters or whatever their little ghost gadgets are and picking up a word here or a flash of That's Richard Conti there. that's doing all that stuff. His marker. Yeah, it, it, have you seen his marker? Not, no, I haven't. His marker says that what year he was born and then it has a dash the year he died and then a dash and then a question mark. He 100% ah. believed in the afterlife. And it's literally right across from where Marilyn Monroe's crypt is. When I went, I mean, I've been to that cemetery a million times. It's impossible to find unless you haven't been there. But um, one of the times I was there, I was taking a friend who had never been. And I was showing her the crypt and um, telling her how Joe DiMaggio had kept putting flowers on her grave for many, 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 many years after she had died. And we were talking about it. And a bus, I guess, had pulled up outside the gates and dropped off a whole gaggle of tourists. Who just mm-hmm. rushed in straight for Marilyn's um, gravesite, and before we could even move out of the way, took a bazillion photos of us still in front of it. So somewhere in this world, my friend and I are in a whole bunch of photos in front of Marilyn Monroe's grave because they didn't even wait for us to move out of the way. They just started snapping pictures wow. immediately. Yeah, and it really—I mean, there had to be forty or fifty of them that jumped off that bus and went straight for Marilyn's grave. Yeah. Which, you know, whatever. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me. Well, sure. I'm, yeah, and if anyone has any Marilyn Monroe ghost stories, please 
share us. If you think we're wrong, please let us know. Yeah, but, I would um, love. I mean, I, again, I'm not sad to think that she's resting in peace. I'm not sad by that. But if someone has a credible ghost story, we would love to hear it. Yes. I mean, the the stories that, that get told and retold over and over again are very old, stale stories. And uh, most of them can be shot down histor- history-wise, right. um, historically. So, you know, but if there's anything credible out there, certainly would love to hear it. But for, for the most sure. part, I think, I think, you know, she and Valentino don't haunt any place. I mean, I think they're both where they're supposed to be. Hopefully. And, uh, we can only hope. Hopefully. We can only hope. That's true. Thank you so much again for doing this with me. It was really kind of, it was really fun to to have sort of the pressure off and have someone else that knows so much that can help me get through these without doing tons of research because, you know, you you've done it all. Oh, I I like to think that, but you know, there's always room for error. So I, I do the best I can, and uh, but no, I'm perfectly happy to help. I enjoy it. This is just kind of like you know, um, just chatting and and just being you know honest with opinions and and information rather than trying to make something you know phantasmagorical or whatever the word is. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time, until next time. She was the star who showed the brightest of all the stars in Hollywood. Gone almost 60 years has done little to dim the bright light that was once Marilyn Monroe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. Be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode. Until next time, I'm Kat, and remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.